Today we've come to our third part of a study on Christian liberty. We've already looked at the weaker brother, and we've already looked at the legalist brother. Today we're going to look at the libertine brother and see what the Bible has to say about this libertine. Who is the libertine? Who is he? Well, there's several characteristics mentioned in Romans and 1 Corinthians, so I want you to keep your finger here in Romans, but we will look at another passage as well. But let's start reading in Romans 14, verse 14. Romans 14, verse 14 says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, but whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Please keep your finger there and turn to the next book in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll come back to Romans 14, but let's read the companion passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, Paul's addressing gray issues of life. He's not addressing the black and white issues of life where God has clearly commanded us to do things or not do things. That's the black and white issues. Like when God says, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, love him, don't make idols, you know, those sort of things, all right? Those are black and white issues of life. These are gray issues of life, like eating meat that's been offered to idols. And he addresses it again here in 1 Corinthians 8. Let's start reading in verse 7. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. This He goes on to say, But some, though uh, through former association with idols, eat food, is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother 
for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding your conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Please turn back to Romans 14, because we'll look at this passage first of all. So today we're talking about the libertine. The libertine. This, these passages are addressing this libertine. We're going to look at some positive characteristics, some negative characteristics. We're going to look at some instructions to the libertine. How do, how do we deal with it? And, and, and we who are strong, how do we deal with this person? Well, the Bible helps us answer all those questions. But let's start with some positive characteristics of the libertine. And you're wondering, well, who, is, who and what is a libertine? Well, that's, let's see what the Bible has to say about this person. Number one. This libertine, this person, has genuine liberty. That's where the, the, the word libertine comes from. They have liberty. And Galatians 5 also talks about this, and it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. In Galatians 5, Paul is addressing those Judaizers who, who, who are still kind of living under the Old Testament system. And Paul was exhorting, Hey, you have liberty in Christ. You don't... You don't have to follow that Old Testament system anymore. They have, they have genuine liberty. And we've got to ask the question now, well, how free are we? How free are we? After all, Jesus said in John 8, verse 35, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So how free are you? How free are we? If we are genuinely free in Christ, don't we have the liberty to do anything we want? That's what some people believe. And what does God mean, after all, when he says we have liberty, where we have freedom? What does he mean? To what extent is there a limit? We'll answer those questions in a moment. But this freedom in Galatians 5 here refers to freedom from being bound to the Jewish law. They had their old, their old their system, the old system. You can read about that in the Old Testament. It regulated their daily life. It regulated their ceremonies, the sacrifices, all the stuff they ate, including their diet. Right, almost everything was was regulated there by God. Here's what one commentator said about Galatians five. I quote on the screen here. Jews believed the law was the only restraint that kept sin from running rampant and bringing God's destruction on the earth. And apart from divine provision, that was true. In light of man's natural inclination to sin, the only way to prevent him from totally unleashing his worst passions was to establish a system of laws that set boundaries on behavior and that carried penalties severe enough to promote conformity out of fear, end quote. You think about that. That's even true today, right? God has given the power of the sword, if you will, to governments. You can see that in Romans chapter 13. So uh, that, and that's the only reason why, why particularly unbelievers will obey the laws. They're afraid of the consequences. If there was no consequences to their to their wrongdoing and their sin, then a lot of people just do what they want to do, right? Even if even included stealing your stuff. Right? They would do it if they if they could get away with it. 
That's kind of what he's talking about there. And so because of this reality here, Christians have freedom and liberty from needing this Old Testament law system to help them obey God. We don't need that to obey God. We should obey God because we love Him. And this is the liberty that the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5. Again, I quote from John MacArthur. He says this in his commentary on Galatians, quote, The Old Testament governmental law was abolished altogether in Christ. The purpose of that form of the law was to set the Jews apart as God's distinctive chosen people and to picture the sacrifice of the coming Messiah, the Christ. When Christ came, the symbols of His sacrifice ceased to be necessary because the completed and final sacrifice itself was fully and eternally made. End quote. And that's what Hebrews shows you, that Jesus is the best. He is, he is superior in every way, including all that Old Testament stuff, like the sacrifices, and it included the angels and Moses and the prophets and all that stuff. You see, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in every way. Well, some people would say, hey, uh, I don't have to obey laws. You know, I, I like this liberty that I have in Christ. This liberty and this freedom I have is a wonderful thing. And I don't have to obey laws. And if you're thinking that way, you need to hold on a moment. Because you've only got a small portion of what the Bible says. See, Christ's work on the cross ended the Old Testament system of laws. But it doesn't mean you can just go and do whatever you want. It didn't end the holiness that God desired of his and and still desires of his people in fact here's what a New Testament passage says quoting from Leviticus by the way 1 Peter 1 verse 15 says as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct that's a command it's not an option and uh, it is a command that is still to be obeyed and so the Bible's not saying it's okay for you and I to do anything we want to do. There are limits. There are limits to what we are allowed to do. And by the way, uh, you can see here, sorry it's fuzzy, but uh, this is the best illustration I, can, I, I was able to find. The guy is with inside a box. You see that on the ground, the limits represents the box on the ground. But inside that box, he's rejoicing in this newfound freedom he has. He's saying, I'm free, I'm free. But that doesn't mean he can go do whatever he wants. He still has to stay within the limits. By the way, some people think that paradise means no limits. May I remind you, when God originally made paradise, we don't live in paradise right now. That might come as a shock to some of you, but we do not live in paradise. But when God originally made the first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, and put them in paradise, even there, there was limits. God gave them laws. He gave them rules, right? I know the one you're probably thinking of, right? There was a tree in the Garden of Eden. God said, you can eat from everything you see here. All these trees and plants are for you, for your food, just not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was limits. God also gave other rules. He told them to have dominion, to have rule over the the creation that that God had made. 
told them to be fruitful and multiply. So he did give them some rules. There were limits, even in paradise. Of course, Adam and Eve broke those limits that God had set up. We suffer the consequences even today. God, when he destroys this earth and these heavens and makes a new heaven and a new earth, there will also be limits. God doesn't change. We will have to worship God as he prescribes. That won't change. Even in heaven, there will be limits, okay? So don't think that paradise means somehow there's, there's no limits, no rules. That is not paradise. That's anarchy. Totally different. So the Bible doesn't say it's okay to do anything you want. God doesn't do everything he wants. Did you know that? God limits himself to his nature, to who he is. So there are, there are things that God will not do, like he will never sin because he can't. So there, there's at least one limitation. And we see that limitation one here is that any activities that are forbidden in Scripture are the limits and we have to stay within those limits. And, and if, uh, it, you know, if, if, if so, then, right, if, if there's activities in Scripture, for example, that are forbidden, then we're not allowed to do those. Those are our limits. There's also another limitation we'll look at a little later when we look at the instructions given to this type of a Christian, okay? But again, I ask the question, how free are we? How free are you? Well, let me remind you, okay, in case you haven't got the point yet. We're free in certain ways, but we still have to stay within the box, so to speak, within the limits. We're free from the civil and ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law. We're free from trying to gain God's approval by legalistic standards. Uh, we're free to show our love to God by obeying Him. We're... Uh, Let's talk about the negative. We're not free to just do whatever we want. We're not free to break God's moral laws. We're not free to worship idols. We're not free to lie and steal and murder and commit adultery and deceive people and so forth, right? Those are all part of God's moral laws. We're not free to do that. In other words, we are free to live within God's limits. God has set up a fence, if you will, and we're not free to go outside that. But within that, we have great freedom. and We can run around and do stuff within those limits. Well, let's come back to the Libertine's characteristics. We, we've seen that he is free. He has, he has true liberty. But number two, he is happy. <laughs> we see that in Romans 14, verse 22. Verse 22 says, The faith that you have... Keep between yourself and God. Blessed or happy is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Remember, this is talking about gray areas of life. Specifically, eating meat that's been offered to idols. So the freedom that this person has in Christ is working opposite of that dampening spirit of the legalist. Libertine enjoys life. He's happy. He's blessed. <laughs> and number three, he sees all things as pure, and that's part of the reason why he's happy. And by the way, this doesn't mean that everything is pure. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, Do not, for the sake of food, 
destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So he's specifically talking about these gray areas of life. Eating meat that's been offered to idols, as an example there. And so Paul is, in a way, agreeing with the libertine here. He's, he's saying the gray issues, those things not specifically condemned in the Bible, are allowable. Those things are allowable. So those are the things he's, he sees as pure. It doesn't mean that all things are pure. Otherwise, that's defying the very nature of God. So three characteristics, positive characteristics of the libertine. Now let's look at some negative characteristics that we see in the Scriptures. Negative characteristics of liberty. Number one, he has lost sight of priorities. His priorities are messed up. You can see that in verse 17. Because verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the libertine, he... He, if you look at the first part of verse 17 there, he, he kind of, his, his priorities are what? Eating and drinking. And God says, no, that's the wrong priorities. And Paul has, in, has to remind the libertine that Christianity is not about exercising your Christian freedom to, to its fullest extent. It doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Although the libertine will often say, hey, I have the right to do this because God didn't clearly condemn it in the Scriptures. God didn't talk about eating meat offered to idols or other things like that. So then I have the freedom to do it. That's what the Libertine says. So if, if that's the case, think about this. What is the Libertine's highest goal in life? If he thinks he can just go do what he wants, use his Christian liberty to the fullest extent, what is his highest goal in life? Well, it's himself isn't it to please himself you might call that hedonism he's lost sight of the fact that what is god's ultimate goal for us well it's to gl- glorify him right glorify god notice it's righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit that's what god is desiring for us in our lives but the libertine doesn't care about that that's not his priority His priority is the eating and the drinking, doing what he wants. Number two, second negative characteristic of the libertine is he's not walking in love. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, he says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Should be, but he's not. And by the way, that's the biggest condemnation of a libertine. He is not walking in love. In other words, he's not living in love. He's not loving his neighbor as himself, which is the second greatest commandment. He's exercising his freedom without any apparent concern for the spiritual welfare of other Christians. And do you know what the key word for the libertine is? It's selfishness. He's selfish. Some might think that libertine is some some kind of a badge of honor that I wear. Hey, I'm a libertine. I have freedom. No, no. actually, it's, it's a label of immaturity is what it is. You're showing your immaturity. You go around with the label of libertine. So those are two negative characteristics of the libertine. Now let's see what the Bible says about the damage that is caused. A libertine can cause great damage. 
Number one, he grieves other Christians with his liberty. And then we, we see that there in verse 15. Because they're not walking in love. Verse 15 says, uh, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So he's, he's grieving. And we saw that in the first part, talking about this, this brother is grieved by what you eat. That's a very serious word. Grieve means to cause someone to be sad, sorrowful, or distressed. And by the way, it's talking both about uh, both a physical pain as well as a mental pain. Physical and mental. Mentally, it's associated with the anguish of misfortune or death or insult or outrage. It's a very serious thing to grieve another Christian with your liberty and that's the problem. He's, he's causing that damage. Number two, he's destroying other Christians with his liberty. Again, verse 15 says, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Destroy is a very serious word as well. The idea is you're ruining one's well-being by your life, your actions. And so the liberty's actions cause a fellow believer to, think of it this way, to become a spiritual zombie. Zombies are all the rage these days, so that's the best way I can describe it. You, I mean, they're, they're kind of walking around, right? But they're not alive. They're actually dead. They're not worth much. And that's, that's what the libertine can do to another Christian, cause someone to become a spiritual zombie. They're destroying their well-being. Number three, he causes evil because of his liberty. He causes evil. That's what verse 20 is talking about. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. A stumble there is causing a person to distrust and desert one whom he ought to be trusting and obeying. And of course, who is that? That's God. We ought to be trusting and obeying God, but... The problem is, you and I, if we become libertines, we can cause someone to not trust God and not obey God. That is evil. (laughs) That is a good definition of evil. And so if the libertine's liberty causes another Christian to desert the faith, he has caused great evil. And of course, Jesus gave dire warnings when we do that. He said, you're better off drowning yourself in the ocean. Go drown yourself in the ocean. You're better to do that than to cause someone to stumble, to fall into sin, to lose their faith. Number four, he sins by wounding another Christian's conscience. He sins by wounding their conscience. This one's coming from 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12. When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So it is possible to sin against another Christian. And that word wound there, you see the word wound in 1 Corinthians 8, means to cause serious harm in a psychological sense. You can cause harm in someone's mind in this this regard. And I don't know how else to illustrate this than, than in a, like in a boxing match, okay? Because that's the idea of the word. The basic meaning of the word wound means to stupefy with a blow. It's like someone punching, punching, punching. It, 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 it means to stamp on, to impress. 
Later on, it, it meant to strike someone giving blows with their fist, like, like this guy's doing here. It's a very violent term. We, we think of the word wound as maybe not so violent, but it is. It, we're talking some very serious wounds that can be given by this libertine. And so the libertine needs to remember that he can do extreme harm to the conscience of a weaker Christian. It's a serious matter. And number five, last one, is he sins against Christ. Ultimately, you're sinning against Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians 8, 12 says, When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. A horrible thing. That's what happens. And so, then the last damage done by the libertine is to himself. And so in his attempt to be the most spiritual person, that's what he thinks often, he hurts other believers, and he sins against Jesus Christ. In effect, he's actually doing the exact opposite of what he's trying to accomplish with his liberty. And so because the libertine does so much damage to Christianity, there are some very specific instructions here that the Apostle Paul gives us. Let's talk about these. What are the instructions to the libertine? Number one, do not destroy weaker Christians. So if you are a libertine, and probably all of us have been at some point, and if you haven't yet, you probably will be at some point. We, we tend to fluctuate between being a legalist and a libertine. Uh, we're never just one of those all of our life, I don't think. So you need to remember this, my friends. Do not destroy weaker Christians. So look at verse 15. That's what it's talking about. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't destroy them. And that's a command. It's not an option. So the basis of this command is that weaker Christians are also Christians. <laughs> the weaker brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ are Christians. They're saved just the way you've been saved. They're in the same family of God that you are in if you're a Christian and so you're in the same family. So don't treat them like they're in someone else's family. Don't treat them like their father's the devil when that's not the case. Do not destroy the weaker Christians. Look at, here it's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, God composed the body that there should be no more schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You are not an island. <laughs> you do have effect on other people. Okay, So do not destroy weaker Christians. And number two, don't let your good be used for evil. Don't let your good be used for evil. That's what verse 16 is talking about. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. If you have Christian liberty, great. That's good. But don't let it be used for evil. So the fact that the libertine sees he has freedom, he can go and eat the meat that's been offered to idols, or he can do other gray area things of life, it's, it's not a negative characteristic. 
he's learned a valuable lesson about his freedom in Christ, hasn't he? That's, that's good. But then if he goes and abuses that freedom, then he's not allowing himself to be a positive influence. Instead, he's actually a hindrance to someone else's spiritual growth. And you don't want to do that. You never want to be a hindrance to someone's spiritual growth. So don't let your good be used for evil. And number three, keep the right priorities. Remember, the problem is he's, he's lost sight of his priorities. So you got to keep your priorities straight here. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If someone thinks that Christianity is about freedom in the gray areas of life, <laughs> hey, I can go and do what I want. If they think that, that life in Christ is all about the eating and drinking, who are they actually serving? Think about that. Who are they serving? Themselves. Themselves. Are we supposed to serve ourselves? No. But if someone lives the Christian life as if it's about someone else, particularly God and other people, then who are they serving? Well, now they're serving God. So their priority is in the right spot. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Got the right priority. And number four, God says we're to pursue peace and edification. Or as ESV says, it uses the word mutual upbuilding. Building each other up. Look at verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That word pursue is a cool word. It originally meant to chase after, to hunt something. To hunt. And if you've never hunted, sorry, you're missing out. <laughs> because when you're hunting, you're, you're, your whole body and your mind is focused on the prey. You're going after something. You're, you're intent on getting that meat or whatever it is. And that's the idea here. You're pursuing it. You have a definite goal in mind. You know, for example, when I'm out in the bush, my mind is, is set on deer. I want to get a deer. I want to bring that meat home. I want that trophy. And, I, and I'll do almost anything, minus disobeying God, to get it. That's the idea here. You're pursuing this. And the word, by the way, later came to have a very intense idea of moving quickly after something moving energetically towards some objective. You're, you're going to put in an intense effort and into this pursuing. You have a definite goal. And what is that? Pursue peace and edification or mutual upbuilding. So those are the two, goal, the two goals that God gives us to pursue here. Peace and edification. So peace, you think about that. That's not allowing your selfish motivations to disrupt the fellowship between fellow Christians. It's not about you. Edification, there's the second goal. It's, uh, this is strengthening the faith of other Christians. And so if any gray issue somehow opposes those two goals, then you have to surrender your liberty and your freedom in order to obey God. 
Well, if, you, if you're struggling with the illustration that the Apostle Paul gives here about eating meat offered to idols, let me give you something that might hit a little closer to home. Okay? Here's a test case. We're going to think about this and see how this might work out in everyday living. Okay? We have uh, William. He's a weaker brother. Larry, the legalist. And Leonard, the libertine. Notice the first letters all match. Hopefully, try to remember that, okay? It's important to remember who these people are. Okay, so you got William the weak, Larry the legalist, Leonard the libertine. They go out for a meal together. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to go out to eat together. So Leonard the libertine decides he's going to order a really big cheeseburger, large fries, and a large Coke. I know, some of you are looking at the screen now and you're drooling, aren't you? You're hungry, your stomach's growling, you're saying, that looks really good, I'm sorry, if you're feeling that way. And some of you might be grossed out by McDonald's, I don't know, but that's fine too. But All right, so bear with the illustration here, okay? We have Larry, the legalist, he chastises Leonard, the libertine, for choosing food that is known to cause obesity and cancer. He just chews him out right in public, right in in front of all of the other customers at McDonald's. He recites all the medical data that supports his statements. He exhorts Leonard the Libertine to change his meal. You need to eat healthy. Ever happened to you? I hope not. All right, so bear with the illustration here. All right. Must Leonard the Libertine concede to Larry the Legalist? The answer is no. He doesn't have to. And you say, why or why not? Well, Larry, remember he's the Legalist, Larry's not going to be hurt in his walk with God just because this other, his friend here, decided to eat a cheeseburger, fries, and drink a Coke. So his reasoning is not based on clear scriptural commands. He's just citing medical data, which is probably true, but that's beside the point, all right? And, and besides, the legalist faith is not going to be destroyed in this situation. He's not a weaker brother. So for those reasons, he doesn't have to concede to Larry the legalist. Well, let's carry on here, okay? Bear with this illustration. When Leonard politely refuses to change his meal, Larry gets angry... And so with a very loud voice, of course, all the customers in McDonald's can hear this, he begins to scold Leonard the Libertine, and he, now he's using Bible verses. He's loudly challenging Leonard to live out his faith in front of all these ungodly people here eating at McDonald's. Must Leonard concede to Larry in that situation? No. Is there a way for him to salvage this situation? Yes. Some would say, punch Larry in the face. That'll fix it. No, it won't. That is not the way you salvage the situation. That's probably not the best way to handle it with physical violence. But he could calmly remind Larry of his testimony and say, Hello, what are all these unbelievers going to think about you? You claim to be a Christian. You're quoting Bible verses. right? All these people are now watching you carry on, probably with amusement, He could invite Larry to discuss the situation quietly instead of in front of everyone, right? 
perhaps he could suggest, hey, let's do the, you know, let's have a study from the Bible on the black and the, the, the white and the gray areas of life. What does the Bible say about that? So we can study Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. Perhaps Leonard needs to leave, leave the restaurant. That might be helpful. But giving in to Larry is only going to reinforce his bad habit. So the bad habit is, hey, I get my way if I make a scene, right? I just start yelling, and I start quoting Bible verses, and I make a really big deal out of this, and eventually, you know, it's the squeaky wheel going to get the grease. Well, we certainly don't need more Christians with that kind of an attitude. So sometimes it's not helpful to give in to them. Well, let's think about William. We haven't really talked about him. Remember William, the weaker Christian? He's a relatively new believer in Christ. He's struggling with weight problems. He was going to order a salad and drink some water. He was making this decision based on 1 Corinthians 6, which talks about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about losing weight for him. He believes that all Christians should avoid unhealthy food in order to obey the Bible. But William, though weaker, considers Leonard to be a more mature Christian. So now William is confused. Looking at his other Christian friends here, he's a little confused. So Leonard also has some weight issues to deal with. So William decides, hey, perhaps uh, he's fellowshipping with the wrong type of Christians. And he makes it known, hey, I, I can't fellowship with you guys anymore because you, you, you really don't take the Bible seriously. So what should Leonard the Libertine do in that situation? Well, he, remember the two goals were to pursue? He needs to pursue peace and edification. That's what he needs to do. He might start with apologizing to William for causing confusion. That's a good place to start. And if he's able to, he could work with William, the weaker brother, maybe help him understand gray areas, gray issues, and sometimes there's a lack of knowledge. Often that's the case with weaker brothers. Maybe he can help him understand that sometimes the same activity can be enjoyed by one Christian but can't be enjoyed by another Christian. That's what Paul's talking about here, Romans 14. Paul said, hey, I can go and eat meat offered to idols, but the weaker brother can't. He's not there yet. So I'm going to limit my liberty so I don't crush the conscience of the weaker Christian. He needs to remember William's young. He needs to be taught. He doesn't need to be confronted here. And so if William's talking about walking away from all Christian fellowship because of these so-called Christians here, well, Leonard needs to consider how eating his food could actually damage another believer. You may even need to throw his food away and order something more healthy to help the situation out, right? All right, so that's uh, what Le Leonard could do in that situation. All right, let's carry on, okay? So what if William, the weaker Christian now, has been assured by Leonard, the libertine, that, that hey, I actually do care what the Bible says, well, then, then he assumes, well, perhaps it isn't so important to apply biblical principles to my everyday matters of life. Well, okay, that's not good. Should we apply biblical principles to everyday matters of life? Absolutely. 
And, and here's what he says. William says, well, maybe I'm making too much out of the Bible. I mean, after all, the Bible's a really, really old, ancient book, and it's not relevant for my life to today. Whoa, that's not good talk, is it? And so then he decides, well, hey, I'm going to go order the family meal because my friends are eating this food, so I'm just going to I'm just going to stuff and gorge myself to death. Well, what what should Leonard do in that situation? Well, he needs to be willing to change his order. <laughs> he needs to encourage William to stick to what his conscience is telling him. Now, yes, the conscience can be seared, the conscience can be misguided, but you know God's given you a conscience. And remember what Romans 14 said in verse 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He needs What he does, he needs to be fully convinced is the right thing to do. And if he has doubts, then he shouldn't do it. And he should help William understand that Christians apply Scripture differently. He needs to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. So I, I hope that uh, little illustration there helps. So not everybody's at the same level in their Christian walk with God, right? Some of us are going to be weak Christians. Some of us are going to be legalists at times. And some of us are going to be libertines at times. And we talked about how a strong Christian, a mature Christian, should handle these different people. But let's move on. Number five, needs to serve Christ needs to serve Christ. Look at verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So he needs to serve Christ. Well, that's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? Quickly move on. Number six, live for God's approval. Live for God's approval. Notice verse 22 says, The faith that you have, you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You're not living for people's approval. You're living for God's approval. But many libertines participate in questionable activities purely for the shock factor. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met that kind of a person? They just love shocking people. They'll do something in front of you just so they can get a reaction out of you. Maybe you've done that. I hope not. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I have it many times throughout my life. That is the wrong purpose. We're to live for God's approval. Often these, the, these libertines looking for reactions out of other Christians. But the libertine needs to keep his eyes focused on God's reaction. God's action for his life. That's what's most important. And number seven. Have a biblical view of liberty. Have a biblical view of liberty. This one's coming from 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, which says, Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So a person can't call himself spiritual just because he understands that he has liberty in Christ. Just because you have Liberty to be involved in a gray area doesn't make you spiritual. You understand that? It's not the liberty that makes a person spiritual. What, what makes you spiritual? Are you obeying God or not? 
you're obeying God, that makes you spiritual. If you're following the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that would make you spiritual. Number eight, don't be a stumbling block to weaker Christians. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. You don't want to cause someone to fall into sin. So being a stumbling block means you have done something to make another Christian lose their spiritual balance. Just like if you had had a step on the floor that you didn't see, you hit the step and you fall on your face. Why'd you fall on your face? You lost your balance. Your feet weren't underneath you. Of course, we don't want to do that. But sometimes we do. And number nine, limit your liberty when necessary. 1 Corinthians 8.13 says, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Remember, Paul said that. Paul had the liberty to eat the meat that was offered to idols. He had liberty to participate in these gray issues of life. But what was more important? Pleasing God and loving my neighbor as myself. So he, he limited his liberty in these gray areas of life when necessary. So we also need to be willing to sacrifice our liberty for the spiritual good of other people. I don't remember when I first heard this, but it's helpful. So remember this saying, that people are more important than things. People are more important than things. Very important lesson to learn. That's what God's telling us here. You need to live for God and other people. And again, here's another thing that that I found helpful. That I don't remember, I heard this a long, long time ago, that joy is Jesus first, others second, you third. See that? So if you put Jesus first, others second, you third, it spells joy. That's what joy is. That's how joy comes. It's the correct priorities of life. You keep that in order, you have joy. Number 10, last one. Check your motives. Check your motives and what you do, how you do it. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your, uh, your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What's the motive pointed out there in that verse? Well, you could use your liberty for yourself, for your flesh, for your sin, your own sin nature, or you can use it for the right motive, which is to serve other people, love other people. Well, some libertines defend their liberty, not based on principle, of course, but on their own desire. They just want to enjoy their lives and do their own thing. And if that is their reasoning, what is the libertine's highest goal in life? Selfishness. That's what it is. Selfishness. And so how can then this, this libertine become a mature Christian? That's the goal. Paul said, I, I'm the strong one. Be like me. I am imitating Christ. So imitate Christ. So how can a libertine or anybody like this become a mature Christian? Well, read on. Galatians 5.13. It's on the screen here. It says, For you, brethren have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. 
but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? What's the correct motive? Why you do what you do? Is it you? Is it love me? Love me? No, there's too much of that going on, isn't there? That's the problem. I love me. (laughs) Now, God says... All the law is fulfilled in this. It doesn't say love me. It says love your neighbor as yourself. God knows you already love yourself. So love other people as you love yourself. Put them first. Care about them. Show concern and compassion for them. And that will really solve a lot of our issues, won't it? And so if he, this libertine, if he obeys that particular command, then he'll become a stronger Christian. He'll become the strong, mature Christian. And in the process, he'll please God. May God help us to be a strong Christian. Let's pray.